and saw Saul and knew that the Lord was with David. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the prince of the Philistines went forth. It came to pass that after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. With the help of God, and we'll develop this more, I want to preach on the unseen hand. The unseen hand. Again, Holy Spirit of God, bless the reading of your word. Please, may that unseen hand hover around this service. May that unseen hand move the hearts that need to be moved and deal, deal with the hearts. Bless the hearts that need a blessing. Whatever Holy Spirit of God you want done, do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest mysteries in serving God is, and I, I pondered it many, many times, is the hand of God. I pondered many times why God chooses to put His hand on one thing and doesn't choose to put his hand on another. I have pondered many times why God chooses to put his hand on one church, but yet doesn't choose to put his hand on another. I have pondered why God chooses to put his hand on one man's life, and yet a man with the same better talents, more talented, more ability, more of everything, but yet God does not choose to put His hand on His life. In the passage we have here two men and their behavior is on display. As we begin to look at these two men, it's more than just a story of about a time in David's life. It is a story about God's hand being on David's life. Dr. Doug Fisher, pastor's Lighthouse Baptist Church of San Diego, he, he crosses the, the country preaching and spends a great deal of time traveling and preaching. And I've always been intrigued by something he said. He said, I don't go for the multitude. He said, I go looking, searching, Praying, asking God for the one. 
I've been intrigued with that. I wonder this morning, could you be the one? Could you be the one that is in need of God's hand on your life? Could you be the one that maybe God had had His hand on your life before, but for some reason or another, He has taken His hand off, maybe for just a short period of time, waiting on you. It's very difficult to even explain because it's just that. It's an unseen hand. We cannot visibly walk up and touch it. We cannot grab hold of it as we would hold on to someone else's hand. It's an unseen hand as far as the majority This world knows nothing about this unseen hand. And I would venture to say with, with, uh, that there's very few born again, washed in the blood, going to heaven Christians that even know or understand the statement of the hand of God. I've been privileged to know some men. Not a lot, but a few. Then no doubt about it, they had the hand of God on their life. You could not explain them no other way. You could not take a sheet of paper and sit down and record what they what 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 God did through their life and you, you could not write it down. And when, when you listen to them speak, you, you would, you would scratch your head and say, that, that wasn't monumental. They, there was nothing in that that would say, wow! But yet, God would take it and use it and make it monumental and use it to change hundreds of lives. And I've been so intrigued all my life about that fact. It is probably the one prayer I pray more for our church. And just to sound very selfish, I pray this more for myself. That I long and desire for the hand of God to be on this church. If we are to see the miraculous done, we must have the hand of God to do it. We must. Truth is, most know nothing of it. And even sadder, many know nothing, cannot visibly see it. They can all recognize the hand of God. Several years ago, a well-known preacher in our area, he became very critical of another pastor 
that pastored one of the largest churches, Baptist churches of his time. Hundreds of buses. They would, they would literally bump buses together running 400 buses into Chicago every Sunday, busing kids in. And this pastor in our area that we all know, he became very critical. He said, you know, that's just gimmicks. That's just, just, just gimmicks. And he happened to be in a business meeting in the Chicago area, so he decided, I'm, I'm just going to go and I'm going to see for myself and I'm going to see that it's just gimmicks. But what happened while he was there on Monday night as he sat in the auditorium, a man come down the hall or the hallway sitting on a board because he had no legs. And in behind him was about 25, 30 people. He had won to the Lord that day. He rolled to the front and set him on the front pew. And he took his Bible and went and talked with every... Why sit on the pew? The Lord said, Say, you think this is gimmicks? You think this is just a show? How many people have you won today? Maybe if I took your legs, would you be a soul winner? That day, he recognized the hand of God was on that ministry in man. For the next three days, he literally sat in a bedroom, in a in a motel room and cried. His wife had thought he had a nervous breakdown for God showing him he needed the hand of God. He came back and by his own, by others' testimony, his ministry was transformed from that day forward. Do you recognize the hand of God? Would you recognize the hand of God if you saw it? In this story, we have an account of two men. And these two men do something very great. They each testify clearly and loudly what they believe about God and the way they treat each other. We tell people what we believe about God and the way we treat one another. There's four things about this man that I want you to see. First of all, I want you to see the deception of a foolish man. First Samuel chapter 18, look with me in verse 17 and 21. And I want you to notice the word hand. 
Notice with me the word hand. And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter, Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him. Stop. Time out. Look this way. We'll go back to the passage in a minute. Saul's already testified that he believes that his hand is stronger than David. He's already decided if I wanted to, I could take and destroy him. If I wanted to, I could take care of business. If I wanted to, I could, I could handle him. He's done decided his hand is bigger than David's. Notice what he said. But let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. In verse 21, and Saul said, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one and the twain. Verse number 25. And Saul said, Thus says, Thus shall we say to David, The king desires not a dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But, David, but Saul thought to make David fall. Now notice, by the hand of the Philistines. There was a time that God put His hand on Saul's life. There was a time king of the children of Israel said, Hey, hey Samuel, we want a king like everybody else's God. And God said, no, I, would you, I wish you wouldn't do that. They said, no, we want a king just like everybody else's God. So God said, okay, I'll give you a king. So he raised up this man, Saul, and he put his hand on him. And he blessed him. And he gave him power. And he defeated him. Saul has killed his thousands, may I remind you. Saul's hand was on him. But because of Saul's sin, because of Saul's rebellion, and that's all it is, is rebellion against God, God took his hand off of Saul, and God put his hand on a little shepherd boy on the hillside singing songs to Jesus and, and, and telling them how wonderful and great God he is. And then a little bit of shepherd boy, God put his hand, took his hand off of Saul, put his hand on David. From that moment on, David was the king of Israel. Hadn't even got a kingdom. And God put his hand on David. And God and Saul thought about this. Now I want to give you three things about this. First of all, when you've had the hand of God on your life and God takes it off, you're the last one to even know it. You're the last one to know it. Number two, you start attacking those that God's put His hand on. Number three, here's the deception. He really believed that His hand was greater than the hand that was on David. He believed the Philistines 
He done decided, I'm going to set him up. I'm going to, I'm going to have a snare. I'm going to send him into battle. I'm going to give him an impossibility. I, I, I won't go into details, but just say this. You get a, a, a hundred foreskins for men, you're going to kill them first. Amen. And he, he said he knew that. And immediately he put him, put him to a test. He said, but then I know, I know, I know, I know that, that it'll be a snare to him and they'll do away with him. Let me bring that down here. How do I know you may not have the hand of God on your life? It's when the hand of your job is more important than the hand of God. When your trust is in a government or job or an insurance company or this or that or your money or your power or your this, you just, just fill in the blank. It makes no difference when you trust that more than the hand of God, you're trusting the wrong thing. You're trusting the wrong thing. He literally thought that the hand of listings would destroy him. Saul's about to learn whose hand David's life, whose, whose hand David's life is in. It wasn't his hand or the hand of the Philistines, but it was the hand of God. Literally. I know some prayer warriors. I believe how the hand of God on. Got my call last week. She's about 80s. I'm probably almost 90 now. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not making fun of her. When she comes to the door now, she has to come like this. She calls me, she said... Pastor, I've worn out. I list. It's about so faded. I can't see it. Can you update me the list? I said, Miss Abernathy, I'll have it down there in a couple of days. And I took it by her house. She doesn't do anything. She's, she's very difficult for her to even get to church because she said they, she just, she's just so bent over. But she told me this. She said, but it makes it easier for me to pray. She's got the hand of God on her life. I put some of your names on her list. You say, you done what? I put some of your names on the list. I put some of your family names that are lost. And you know what I'm looking? I'm looking for them to get saved. I'm looking for God to touch them. 
I'm looking for God to move them. I'm looking for God to move some of you. And even in your stinking, hellish pride, you say, I will move. You'll move to the hand of God. Because I know some prayer warriors that's got the hand of God. I've known some young people that's got the hand of God and some that's seeking it. Why don't we quit making excuses why our young people cannot have the hand of God? Who said you got to be a certain age to have the hand of God? While Samuel was a little boy, laying in the back room, Samuel! Samuel! He jumps up and pulls his breeches up, runs in the Eli, what, what, what you need? He said, I didn't call you, son. Going back to bed. Had too many onions for supper. Going back to bed. In a little while in the stillness of the night, Samuel, Samuel, he jumps up, runs back, Eli, what you want? And Eli said, hmm, hmm, don't miss this. There used to be a time that God came and said, Eli, Eli. But because of Eli's sin and rebellion and not dealing with his son, God wasn't talking to him no more. And God looked at Samuel and said, Son, going back to bed. If you hear it again, speak, Lord. Thy servants are listening. I want you to know Samuel was a little boy, just a little man, just just young man. You know how the hand of God. I've known some businessmen who have the hand of God on their life. One day a pastor of a very large church, a man called him and said, uh, Brother, I, I heard you sermons and boy, God just blessed my heart. And I said, I own a couple of chicken houses and... and uh, and, and I, I, I'd like to do something for your church. And he said, what do you need? And, and the preacher, he'd heard him before, and he said, just, just do whatever you feel God to have you to do, and it'll be all right. And he said, well, where do you bank? And he told him, hung up, went on by his sermon, didn't give him much thought. And in his mind, and in his mind, he was thinking about an old farmer, had on big overhauls, you know, had about... Uh, 25 chickens in the backyard, two, two old chickens out just by they fall down. In a little while, the bank called and said, Pastor, they just fell a call to his neck, farmer. By the way, brother, uh, uh, Pastor, I didn't know if you knew this. He owns the largest chicken houses there is. He just deposited a half a million dollars in your account. And he said he liked to fill out the floor. And he called him back. You give half a million dollars, I'll, I'll call you back too. <laughs> Amen. What would you like for me to do with the money? And they build a, 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 a cafeteria for the college. 
And here's what he said. He said, brother, why, why didn't you tell me you own the chicken business? He said, pastor, I, I don't own the chicken business. Why didn't you tell me you was in the egg business? He said, pastor, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the egg business. Then they, they told me, he said, no, you misunderstand. That's God's business. He just lets me walk around there sometimes. He just lets me have a part in it. He said, that's God's business. He said, Pastor, I, I don't get along when it sells it up or sells it down because that's, that's God's business. I don't get along when, when the economy goes up, economy goes down. He said, that, that, that's God's business. And he said, I've learned something. He said, God can sell one egg or a million if He wants to. It's God's business. It's a man that had the hand of God on his life. There's no middle ground. Either you have the hand of God on your life, or you do not. In Acts chapter 5, the whole crowd got together, and the, the disciples and said, Boys, you quit that preaching! Say, so hold them off in the jail, beat them, brought them before the crowd, and they said, let's kill him and we'll, we'll, we'll quieten him up. And one old man stood up in Acts chapter 5. His name was Gamaliel. In verse 34, And there stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded the Put the apostle forth a little space. He said, stick him over there, get him out of the way. Let me talk to you fellas. He, he, he's not safe. He's one of the good men. He's a lost Pharisee. But you know what he knew? He knew this. He said, before these dudes come along, there was Theodos and Judas, and it all come to naught. And he said, if this ain't of God, it'll come to naught. But let me say this. But if it be of God, you know what he's just saying? He's just saying if the hand of God is on these men, you cannot overthrow it. That's happily you be found even to fight against God. Can I ask you? Are you a candidate to fight against God? I, I'm not. Matter of fact, one, I heard one preacher say, if we ever had an encounter with Satan, we'd never get over it. Much less an encounter with God fighting us. So the deception of a foolish king. Notice something about the hand of God though. The delivering faith. King set him up. King, I'm going to give you, hey, hey, David, I'm going to give you my daughter. They already, you know, courting and sparking a little bit. And he knew she loved him. And so all of a sudden, I'm going to give you uh, her for my wife. But he said, here's what I want you to do. I want a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And when the servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore? David arose and went, he and his men, and slew uh, 
of the Philistines, 200 men. Don't miss that. Saul asked for 100. He goes kills 200. Brings a sack of foreskins and says, Okay, where's my wife? Where's my woman? Could you imagine Saul's face that day? Could you, he expected word. Boy, David got killed in the battlefield. The Philistines have killed him. He's standing there waiting. He's, he knows it's going to happen. David's going to get killed. There's no way. There's no way. And David walks in and says, Here's a foreskin. And by the way, I added a hundred men to that. What I want you to see this morning is this. What you, what the world says it's impossible. What those and even saved, born again, washed in the blood, believers say that's an impossible. We, we, we can't do that. That's an impossible. There's no way we can do that. There's no way we can do that. Even when they say that, that does not have the hand of God, they don't recognize the hand of God can do anything. Had Saul asked for a thousand, had he asked for ten thousand, God could have done it. See, what we need to understand is this. It's not God's ability to do. That's not in question. The question is, do we have faith and the hand of God on our life to believe that God can do something, anything? You tell me the impossibility that you don't believe God for. And I'll show you whether the hand of God's on your life or not. Because when the hand of God's on your life, you believe God for anything. Saul couldn't get David no matter how he tried. Then Saul started throwing spears at him. By the time they get there, God just knocked them off. Saul couldn't understand. Why can't I get him? It's because the hand of God was on David's life. I see the displayed faithfulness. And Saul knew that the Lord was with David. There come a point that Saul knew it. Later on he said, I played the fool. I played the fool. All through the Bible, God's hand was on people. Joseph, uh, Joshua, uh, Samuel. Oh my goodness. The hand of God. It's a determined favor. But then more than this. It forms a destiny. A destiny is formed. And I want you to get this if you don't get anything else. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter number 8. I want to read verse 28. Now, we've all read this. 
But, I, but we, that's all we do. We read that verse and then we stop. Romans, page 1202, if you can't find it by now. Romans 8, 28. Find your place to amen. amen. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. How many believe that? Amen. amen. How many things? All. Good things? Bad things? All, how many things? All. All right. But now notice the rest of the passage. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among all brethren. Moreover, when he did predestinate them, he also called, and whom he has called them, he also justified, and whom he justified to them, he also glorified. Now, Romans 28, 28 is not the verse you need to have in your memory that's important, that's monumental. It's verse 31. And what shall we then say to these things? What things? All things. What things? What shall then we say? And for you to say the next words means that you are either desiring, you have, you want the hand of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? You cannot say that genuinely, sincerely, you cannot say that with passion. With passion. If God be for us, who can be against us? You can only say that. The hand of God. An unseen hand. God did something for us this morning. I wonder how many saw it. That unseen hand, I believe, touched Michael's singing this morning. Now, now, Michael, I love you, and you know that. Now, I wouldn't embarrass or hurt you for nothing. You know that, don't you? I've, I've heard him sing when he wasn't where he needed to be with God. But then I've heard him sing when God's hand's on it. And God's hand was on that this morning. Did you see it? I seen the hand of God start moving up and down the choir. In between the pews. I watched how the hand of God would touch one person, but then touch another. Did, did you see that? But I saw something that none of you don't have the privilege to see, but I did. I stood up here and I watched the hand of God slip in through the pews. Couldn't see it, but it's real. And I see it stop by a young lady 
start touching her heart. I see it stop by a man and touching his heart. I see, I see it stop by some of these all through the church and t- just, just touching the heart. I'm going to tell on you, Francis. I, I, I see him slip by where he was. Did you see that? Or did you see this? What's all that horn about? How did you get on with the service? What? What's wrong with them? They smoking dope this morning. You know why? Because you didn't see nothing nor felt nothing. It's an unseen hand. I can't, I, I saw it. But then I'm glad sometimes I can feel it. Do you? Now I'm, I'm just back to what I said when I'm preaching. I don't know if the majority wants that. So I'm looking. I think the Holy Ghost of God is looking for one. Could you be the one to say, I'm going to put my hand on your life. It'll be the difference of you having joy, peace, enjoying the journey, faith, I wonder, is are, are you the one? Are you the one? See, it's unseen hand. But I wonder, are you the one? That is our confidence this morning. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, never eye closed.